I want to start this morning for the rest of us talking about the significance of the cross and why the cross is so significant, what it means to us, its greatness and its benefit to us as a symbol. Uh, when you think of the cross, you hopefully think of forgiveness. We can be forgiven because of what Christ has done. Uh, you can think of atonement, that God's justice is satisfied. You might think of reconciliation, where we were uh, in conflict with God, and because of what Christ has done and His atoning sacrifice, bringing forgiveness, we are then reconciled to God. Uh, you might think in terms, since we're studying First Peter together, you think of the cross and the work of Jesus as what brings us to God while we were alienated. He brings us to God, I think it's chapter 3, verse 18. Or maybe you think in terms of Philippians chapter 2, where it talks about Jesus uh, living a life of obedience. And not only did he live a life of obedience, it says even to the point of death, even death on a cross. It's the perfect, obedient, substitutionary, atoning, forgiving, reconciling, justifying, sanctifying. We could go on and on. All these great, great, awesome benefits that come to us from the work of Jesus, and we, we summarize the whole thing as the apostles did in the cross. It's just great stuff. But sometimes we then forget really what the cross symbolizes. And so I want to encourage you to think about that today. All of the victorious grandeur of Calvary's cross, Jesus for us, Sometimes we, we actually have forgotten to step back and, and say, well, well, the cross. The cross is about crucifixion. The cross is horrific. It's this instrument of death whereby the Romans slaughtered thousands of criminals. The cross, the cross is execution. The cross is suffering. The greatest suffering ever given Jesus' death on a cross. I'm so thankful that His suffering on the cross comes to me so that I don't have to suffer eternal consequences. And that's why we talk about all the good things. That's why you, you might wear a cross. That's why we have a huge cross front and center here. First thing you see when you walk in, it's all on purpose because of the victory, because of what He's accomplished. You might decorate with crosses on your body or in your home because it's this great, grand reminder about victory in Jesus. This morning we're going to be reminded of the fact that while all of that is true, if you belong to Jesus by faith and all of His benefits come to you, which is so wonderful, it would be short-sighted to not also know that given this is not the new Jerusalem where everything's perfect and we're not glorified, we would be short-sighted to think it doesn't mean suffering for us if we belong to Christ. In fact, Jesus even taught such things, and His apostles teach such, such things. If we belong to Jesus, and First Peter's talking about how we do belong, and we get all the benefits freely because of His work, but if we belong to Him, there is going to be a consequence. So First Peter, in chapter 4, where we will be this morning, is reminding Christians, this isn't your best life, this isn't heaven on earth, this isn't where it's at, and yes, all the benefits are yours, but also know that there's still hostility against Jesus, and if you belong to Jesus, there's going to be hostility against you. 
So 1 Peter is a book uh, about, in so many ways, it's about perspective. And we have to have perspective that there's something greater coming. Belonging to Jesus gives us all the wonderful benefits. But in the here and now, it's not heaven on earth. And there are difficulties. So 1 Peter is going to equip us. It is equipping us to help us live in light of what's to come, in light of what's happened, but in light of reality that there is hostility against you if you belong to Christ at times. So we will be in 1 Peter. I read an interesting um, brief biography of a missionary uh, a couple of weeks ago. And it made me think of this passage because I was studying this passage. But just an interesting word from this, this woman who was a missionary to Africa for a, a lot of years and suffered. Um, she was raised in, in, high, in, in England in a high Anglican church. Um, whether she was listening or not, she didn't hear the gospel. She never read the Bible. She went to medical school in Cambridge, as I recall. And at medical school, uh, while she was studying, um, she was introduced to the New Testament. and She read the New Testament for the first time. And then they had a retreat, and she went to the retreat, and there was a well-known Christian speaker there preaching the gospel there, and it seemed to be at that time she was converted. And she came to understand the pieces fell into place and she understood for the first time the reality of Christ dying for her sins and being raised for her. And she wanted to be a missionary. She eventually goes and is a missionary in Africa and was. She was converted in the winter, she says, of 1945 while she was studying medicine at Cambridge. And the preacher who was speaking at the re- college retreat or university retreat, they probably would say there, wrote Philippians 3.10 in her Bible. And then he said this, Tonight you've entered into the first part of the verse, that I may know him. This is only the beginning and there's a long journey ahead. My prayer for you is that you will go on through the verse to know the power of his resurrection. And also, God willing, one day perhaps, the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. She went on to be a missionary for a long time. I don't know that much about her. I'm not vouching for all of her theology. That's why I'm not naming her. She was imprisoned. She was brutally beaten. And other things were done to her that I won't say here. All while doing good for humanity as a medical professional and also doing good spiritual ministry, preaching the gospel, we know she did that. She later reflected, and here are the words I wanted you to hear that were inspiring, quite honestly. He didn't take away pain or cruelty or humiliation. No, it was all there, but now it was altogether different. It was with him, for him, in him. He was actually offering me the inestimable privilege of sharing in some little way the edge of the fellowship of his suffering. It's a good perspective. While doing hard things and suffering because of your commitment to Christ. In our spheres of living, wherever we are, whether it's a foreign missionary or right in your cubicle or in your neighborhood or wherever it is in your family, we've been promised by Jesus, if they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. Okay? 
And First Peter's helping us with the perspective so that we can know something of having joy amidst the hard stuff and participate in the fellowship of his sufferings. Not for our salvation, but because of our salvation. Right? So First Peter today, it's going to help us with perspective. Chapter 1, or excuse me, First Peter chapter 4, we're going to look at verses 12 to 19. I promise you it will help you with perspective and help you through hard times. How about if we start in verse 12? Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Don't be shocked. Why wouldn't you be shocked? Well, in part, because remember, you're, he's going to even use the word Christian. So don't be shocked. Maybe don't be shocked if you read the whole history of the people of God. Don't be shocked. Don't be surprised. at These fiery trials. Not just trials, but fiery trials. Burning fire that tests to show legitimacy, genuineness. And notice he says, as though something strange were happening. Something previously unknown. Oh, isn't it bizarre that people who, who name the name of Christ are persecuted? It's one of those kind of like, hello moments. Remember the cross. Yes, all the great benefits, but it's an instrument of execution and it's, it's all about suffering. And so we shouldn't be surprised as if this was some, some kind of strange thing. I'm grateful that we, we emphasize the cross being victorious. I'm super grateful. P- Peter's done that. First part of the letter. But now he's saying, hey, wait a second. Don't forget here how this thing went down. And you're united to Christ by faith. And you're claiming allegiance to Him in His ways. So don't be shocked. Don't be surprised. As though it's some kind of, something that's never happened before. And so I'm trying to remind you as a pastor today, you're a Christian. You belong to Christ. It's not a shocker if people don't like you because of Christ. What would make a person surprised? Reading best-selling books? Watching religious television? Listening to prosperity preachers? Forgetting about what happened to Jesus? That would cause you to be surprised. What, 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 why is this bad stuff happening to me? 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1. Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh. So we, we have to have a certain mindset, a certain way of thinking. I want to do the right thing, and I want to have my life go well, but sometimes it's not going to go well, so I've got to have a mindset, I've got to have an armed way of thinking. I'm a Christian. Okay. That helps. Suffering for righteousness. Remember chapter 3, verse 14, but even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, righteousness would, would have to do with Christ, the righteous, who brings us to God. So you might suffer because of your belief about Him and what He did. Or suffering for righteousness. Righteousness would be doing the right thing. Righteousness would be believing the right thing. Righteousness would be having a certain view of ethics and morals that would honor Christ because of what he taught about ethics and morals. And you might just suffer for righteousness' sake. But you shouldn't say, this is so bizarre, so surprising. 
Now, maybe on one level you say, this is so bizarre, so surprising. This is what Jesus taught. And he, and he, he rose again from the dead. So that's a shocker. But that unbelievers who would be hostile against him would then be hostile to you, that, that actually shouldn't shock us. Remember the cross is what I want to encourage you with. And it could be very difficult. You know, he's not talking about general hardships in life. Actually, the Bible talks about general hardships in life and why they happen and how to view them and how to deal with just the the ordinary suffering, which sometimes is extraordinary and very, very difficult. But he's not talking about that in 1 Peter. That's, That's for a different Sunday. Why bad things happen in general. Here he's talking about why bad things happen because you belong to Jesus. And they could be fiery trials. Not just a trial, a fiery trial. He uses the word for fire. Burning kind of trial. Purosis. From pure fire. A purosis kind of trial. A purifying kind of trial. A little bit tongue-in-cheek, but hopefully you'll hear me out. This is Protestant purgatory. Pure, fiery, right? In Roman Catholicism, you go to purgatory to pay for sins, to suffer, and maybe after a really long time you might get out and, and things like that. This is not talking about that. This is talking about your life now. Fiery trials. Not literal, though it could be that, but it's a purifying, it's a testing not so you can pay your way in. He's already said in chapter 3, He's brought us to God. We've already had the forgiveness, but as a Christian, there is a purifying, there's a fiery trial that might come in your life because of righteousness, because you believe what Jesus says. Again, if I'm, if I'm listening to certain voices, even who name the name of Christ, I'm not hearing this. could be very difficult socially, physically, professionally, personally, legally, and any other kind of lee. Fiery trial. I don't wish that for you in your life. I hope you don't wish it upon me in my life. But you could have very, very, very intense, serious conflicts in your life because you trust in Jesus. Because you believe righteousness. Shouldn't be a shocker. How about verse 13? But rejoice. Oh, I needed an upper. I don't know about you. <sighs> but rejoice. This seems so odd. How can this be? How would I, why would I rejoice in that? I, I, it's not pleasant. If it's a fiery trial, it's painful and hurtful and costly. But rejoice. Here's perspective. Rejoice insofar as... Here's how, here's how you can rejoice. It's not a total rejoicing. Rejoice insofar as you share. Ah, fellowship. You share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. So I, I circled the first rejoice and the second rejoice because that helps me understand the, the, the interplay. So I'm going to rejoice in the suffering how can I rejoice in the suffering? Because I'm, I'm viewing something that's in the future. 
When his glory is revealed, he's using that as, as a way of talking about uh, his return in glory. There's no question about that. So when his glory is revealed, when Christ comes back to rescue you and give you your great life and to give you glorification, there's rejoicing then for sure. And so in view of that rejoicing, where, by the way, justice will be made known and you will be shown to be right, by the way, including your morals and ethics and belief in Jesus. So in view of that day of rejoicing, because I'm with Jesus, not against Him, and He's for me, not against me, because of His work on my behalf, in view of that coming day of rejoicing, because I belong to Him, I'm not a Christ denier, I'm a Christ believer, in view of that coming day, I can have some, some joy now. It's not even a fullness of joy, but insofar as I can, because of what's coming, I can do it. I can have the perspective. I can think long term. I can think about that coming glory. It's, a, it's, it's fabulous what he's doing. If I can just think like that. Here's a helpful quote, I think. Who belongs, who will belong then when he comes in glory is made manifest in the here and now. Who will belong then when he comes in glory is made manifest in the here and now. I think is what is happening. Man, I'm getting assaulted because of X, Y, or Z. Because of my association with Christ. And so I'm, I'm being tested. I'm having this, this purging fire, this fiery trial, this testing kind of trial, and it's bad. But, but in view of, I'm going to stand my ground, and I'm not going to go backward, and I'm not going to say I deny Christ, and I'm not going to say, say I give, I'm going to change, I'm going to compromise, because I'm, in, I'm looking forward to that great glory, that great return, that great joy when I'm with Him. And so that's going to keep me, if you will, with him in the here and now from a human perspective. Please remember, his sufferings are related to your sufferings, but they're different. Okay? So I don't want to reread all of 1 Peter, but remember like in 3.18, 3.18, Christ also suffered once for sins, his is substitutionary, the righteous for the unrighteous, substitutionary, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. So his suffering is for your being brought to God. And you're going to believe in him and he brings you to God. Our suffering is because we have been brought to God in Christ. So his suffering means our suffering. Sometimes we don't want to hear that. We don't want to think about that. But not to save us. So we, we, we fall off the cliff on two sides and say, we, if we only say, if you suffer with Jesus, you'll be saved. If you suffer enough with Jesus, you'll be saved. No, don't, don't do that. If I believe in Jesus who suffered for me, I'll be saved and I'll never have any conflict or problems in my life. Don't do that. First Peter beautifully, wonderfully, simply, when you read the whole thing, gives us both. You trust in Jesus, the one who suffered for us. He brings us to God, but you are a Christian. And until His return in glory, 
it might not be good. I say, God, help me to to have the perspective when I need the perspective. It's easy today on a Sunday morning. God, I think in terms of the great rejoicing I can have because I belong to him and I'm looking forward to that, seeing him and being made like him. Then he says in verse 14, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, and I wrote in my margin chapter 3, verse 14, righteousness, because that would be another reason for being insulted because you're belonging to him, the righteous. You are blessed, he says, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Now that's, that's worth another look. Okay, insulted, persecuted, fiery trial, because of the name of Christ. How would I be blessed? Doesn't seem, it doesn't seem like it's very blessed. And he tells us, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. The spirit of glory, spirit of glory is tied again and again in 1 Peter to resurrection or return. I've got, so if, if, here, because the spirit of glory rests upon you. Okay, so I can, he's saying the same thing. I can have a perspective in the heart here and now in the midst of suffering, because I have the spirit of glory, the resurrected spirit on my side, as well as the spirit of glory, second coming, return of Christ, and he won't be against me, he'll be for me. Okay, I can rejoice. I can, have, I can, I can realize that I'm actually blessed. Now, I would like you to read verse 14 sort of backward, kind of reverse. How, how about if you look at the end of 14, I think this will help you, after the comma, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon me. How do I know, or what's one way of knowing, what's one sign of me having the spirit of glory, the Holy Spirit who raises the dead? What's one way if I reverse engineer that verse? It's not the only way, but one way I would know is if I am insulted for the name of Christ. I realize it's not, not rocket science and it might not be the most profound thing you've thought of all day, but it might. How do I know? If I, if I, if I really have the spirit of glory, if Christ is really, really going to be for me in the end, if I'm really going to be raised, and I struggle, and it, could it be? One way of knowing is you're trusting in Christ, you're standing for what He stood for, Okay? You're being persecuted for righteousness. And that's leading to the insults. And it's actually a means to Christian assurance. I must be a Christian. <laughs> or, I, or I would have already caved. I would have already compromised. I would have already said uncle and just followed whatever the, 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 the flavor of the day in our fast-moving culture is. I might be a Christian. I think that's what he's doing. He's helping us. How do we know that God is with us? We have his spirit. How do we know that we have his spirit? One way we know is that we are insulted for the name of Christ. In other words, we are shown to be Christians because we identify with Christ. We act Christianly. 
One commentator put it this way, Christian suffering is not an indication that God has abandoned us. It is an indication that God is at work in us because we belong to Him. Let's go. Now for a clarifier. Here's a clarifier because there's always that guy. (laughs) Okay? There's always that guy or gal. I don't want to leave anybody out. Verse 15. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Right? There's always that person who's totally doing the wrong thing and is taking it on the chin for it and say, Oh, I'm just being persecuted. He's, Peter's giving a clarifier. No, we're not talking about that. Christians are, should be acting Christianly. And, and he gives us a sample list. He doesn't give us an exhaustive list. Don't think that when you're sinning and things are going bad for you, that that's what we're talking about. It's not what we're talking about. Don't be that guy. But there is always that guy. That's not it. Now he gets back on track. 16. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, that's belonging to Christ. Remember, right? Verse 15. Let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Christian doesn't mean anything, right? So we try to come up with, in our culture, Christian just means you're not a, not a Jew or not a Muslim or means you're an American or whatever it is. But it actually is a good and meaningful word, a Christian. Someone who belongs to Jesus, the Messiah. A Christian is one who's trusting in Him to be the sufferer for them, raised from the dead. He's using it in a very explicit way. And if we're ashamed for being true Christians, maybe we don't use the name so much today. Maybe we do, depending on where you live. Don't be ashamed. But let him glorify God in that name. I belong to Christ. Verse 17 says, For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. Borrowing Old Testament talk for the temple and for the people of God. Time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? That's really intriguing. super intriguing I think what he's doing and I'm in good company and I'm not making this up it's not a new view um, I think what he's doing is he's talking about how in the here and now God is judging think in terms of, of even as Jesus talked about separating the sheep and the goats that's something that's yet to come but Peter's using this kind of already not yet paradigm that even in the here and now when the fiery trials come upon you because you name the name of Christ God is judging God is sifting God is separating I think that's what he's getting at it's all this almost like the future in the here and now God is using the current suffering that would be brought into the church as a way of discerning judging distinguishing, separating. And Peter is saying, hey, Christians, Mr. and Mrs. Christian, and your kids, right? Think about the future glory. 
Think, think about Christ coming and, and rejoicing in that day because you will rejoice then and that would enable you to rejoice now with the right way of thinking and to not be ashamed. Don't go back no matter what happens. This is going to get te- applied in Peter's life too in a big way. Judgment to begin at the household of God. Super intriguing. We better keep moving now. Uh, Verse 18. And if, he uses a proverb from Proverbs 11. And if the righteous is scarcely saved or, or saved with difficulty, it might be translated, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? 19 says, therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will, that would be under his control, suffering for righteousness in association with Jesus, according to God's will, entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Same kind of thing, right? Same kind of perspective. So amidst the suffering, I'm entrusting my soul to this faithful creator God and I'm going to keep doing what's righteous and I'm going to keep believing what's right and I'm going to keep speaking what's true and I'm going to keep trusting in Christ because my soul is in the hands of none other than the creator. His argument, his encouragement is reasonable. It's simple. It's not new. But it's very simple and very reasonable. Stand firm in Christ in the here and now, no matter what happens. Because you're thinking about and trusting in the one who is faithful and the one who will come back in return and give you glorification. It's worth it. Trusting in Jesus. And continuing to trust in Jesus is worth it, is what he's saying. He's trying to pastor them and help them amidst hard stuff. And I'm thankful for that. I'm grateful for that. Not ashamed, with rejoicing, awaiting the final day. Pray with me if you would. Father, thank you for this morning and thank you for a good interaction and engagement with your word. Thank you that it comes to us as good news to be brought to you by Jesus. And we're grateful for that. We're grateful for the fact that we are not facing eternal condemnation if we're trusting in Jesus. We're grateful for this perspective. We're grateful for the encouragement. Please help us. Help the the men and women and boys and girls who are here today to understand this and to be willing and enabled to think clearly, to stand firm for the Lord Jesus Christ as those who belong to him by faith. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.